Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost? I'm your host, Annette. And I'm Stephen. Okay. Are we in a hurry? Just, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and today we are on episode 32. Stephen. Annette. I'm not telling you where we're going. I know where we're going. You, you know where we're going. Are you reading my notes again? Yes. Okay. So today's episode came in as a slightly half a recommendation and then half because I wanted to cover it. Uh, I actually thought there was only one thing about this particular story that I wanted to cover and then I found out there was a whole load of other things. So it came in as a suggestion from Stephen. Uh, we crack on? Targety crack. America has its fair share of haunted locations, a few of which we've covered. Said before, and I will say again, you can keep your asylums and prisons. When it's a home that's haunted... Those are the ghost stories that tend to follow me to sleep. Grab yourself a glass of Southern Comfort. Mirror prints, footsteps, poison, hangings and murder. We're heading to Myrtle's Plantation, Louisiana. The Myrtle's Plantation was built in 1796 by General David Bradford on 600 acres and was named Laurel Grove. I could write a thousand word essay on the architecture of the home. I won't, but trust me, it's stunning. Bradford was a political figure in his native Pennsylvania, but had to flee because of his involvement in what was known as the Whiskey Rebellion, where he was nicknamed Whiskey Dave. It'd be some time before he'd receive a presidential pardon for his actions, and then he was able to bring his wife Elizabeth and his five children to their new home where they lived for many years. Upon Bradford's death in 1808, his widow Elizabeth continued running the plantation until 1817, when she handed the management of the plantation over to her son-in-law, Judge Clark Woodruff. He had married Elizabeth's daughter, Sarah Matilda, and they had three children before Sarah and two of the three children died of yellow fever. Hardly a family in the region went untouched. When Elizabeth died in 1831, Clark and his only surviving daughter, Mary Octavia, moved to Covington, and in 1834 sold the property to the Sterling family. Sterling and his wife, Mary Catherine Cobb, undertook an extensive remodelling of the house, nearly doubling the size of the former building, filling the house with imported furniture from Europe and using the finest materials available at the time. It was during this time that the name was changed to the Myrtles after the crack Myrtles that grew in the vicinity. The Sterling family faced their own time of sadness in the home. Sterling himself died in 1854 of consumption, and of their nine children, only four lived to be old enough to marry. Sterling left his wife Mary Cobb the plantation, but she was referred to by most as a remarkable woman. It was said that she had the business acumen of a man by many other plantation owners, which was high praise for a woman in those days. The Myrtles plantation barely survived the American Civil War despite the home being ransacked and robbed of all its fine furnishings and expensive accessories. Mary Cobb Sterling later hired her son-in-law, William Drew, to help manage the plantation and act as her lawyer and agent. William had married Mary's daughter, Sarah, and they went on to have six children, one of whom died from typhoid at three years of age. But that wasn't the end of their series of unfortunate events. The Winters were forced to sell in 1868, but were able to buy the plantation back two years later, so it all seemed like things were back on track. Now, in case you haven't been counting, there have been so many deaths in the home, 
Quite a lot of those were children who died of sickness and adults who died of either sickness or old age. But William, William was to die in the home by murder. William was teaching a lesson in the gentleman's parlour when he heard someone approach the house on horseback. After the stranger called out to him, saying that he had some business with him, William went out onto the side gallery of the house and was shot. He collapsed onto the porch and died. Those inside the house, stunned by the sound of gunfire and retreating hoofbeats, hurried outside to find the fallen man. William died on January 26, 1871 and was buried the following day in the cemetery at Grace Church. The news reported that a man named E.S. Weber was to stand trial for William's murder, but no outcome of the case was ever recorded. As far as we know, William's killer remains unidentified and unpunished. But legend has it that William, mortally wounded, staggered back into the house, passing through the gentleman's parlour and the ladies' parlour and onto the staircase that rises from the central hallway. He then managed to climb just high enough to die in his beloved's arms on the 17th step. It has since been claimed that ghostly footsteps have been heard coming into the house, walking to the stairs and then climbing to the 17th step, where they, of course, come to an end. The plantation was then sold on to the first in a long line of short-term investors and businessmen. The rumours of unwanted guests began to circulate as each successive owner failed to retain control over the property for very long. But so far these are all just rumours, idle minds creating stories based on the fact that the home had seen more than its fair share of death. But the question was, had everyone who died there left or were they still lingering? In more recent years, this became more than just local stories told over tea with neighbours. After a seemingly innocuous act by the owner at the time generated national media attention, the plantation was thrust into the public eye in 1992. The owner was asked by her insurance company to provide photographic evidence regarding the distance between two buildings on the site. Nothing nefarious, she was just looking to renew her policy. So she sent off the pictures as requested, expecting no further issue. But when the photo was returned a week later rejected, she was perplexed. I've worked in insurance. It's a pain, but these things need to be done right, as the insurance company points out. This photo cannot be accepted as it is not suitable. You must show the distance between the general store and the butler's pantry, and the photo cannot contain any people, said the letter that accompanied the photograph or something to that effect. Having no idea what they were referring to, she studied the photograph again. Absolutely flabbergasted, the owner sees what appears to be a female figure wearing a turban and a long dress positioned between the two buildings. But she was certain there was no one standing there when the photo was taken. You imagine if there was, you would just ask them politely to move, right? But on further inspection, she noticed something odd. The wood panels from the exterior wall the mysterious figure was standing in front of were clearly visible through her body like she was translucent. The National Geographic magazine concluded that the photograph wasn't edited or tampered with in any way when sent the original and the negatives by the owner. The photo seemingly depicts the plantation's most infamous spectre. So let me tell you the story of Chloe. 
Chloe was the name of a slave who worked at the plantation at the time Sarah and Clark Woodruff were living there. Now we discussed them and I did mention that Sarah had three children, two of which died as well as Sarah. But was it from yellow fever? The legend goes that Sarah had two daughters and was carrying a third child when an event took place that still haunts the Myrtles today. Outwardly, Clark Woodruff was an easygoing and gentlemanly fellow, but it was rumoured that he was a violent and abusive master, as well as a promiscuous husband. There are different variations of the story, and all are awful, but here we go. Woodruff had supposedly taken Chloe as a mistress and was having an intimate relationship with her. Whether that was consensual or not remains to be seen. But one day Chloe was caught eavesdropping on one of Woodruff's business meetings and as punishment, he cut off her left ear. Steal an apple, lose your hand. Eavesdrop on business meetings, lose your ear. I suppose in an archaic way this made sense back then. So to hide her disfigurement, she began to wear a covering. A green turban to be precise. Chloe was said to be enraged and was eager to get revenge, but she was patient. She knew if she acted now, any harm that came to the family would ultimately be blamed on her. So she bided her time. Months would pass until the Woodruffs were set to celebrate their eldest daughter's birthday. Chloe supposedly baked a beautiful birthday cake containing extract of boiled and reduced oleander leaves, which were extremely poisonous. Some say her intention was revenge on Woodruff for both ruining her virtue and disfiguring her, and some say she was attempting to redeem her position as a house slave rather than working outdoors by curing the family of the poison. But her plan backfired, as Woodruff was the only family member not to eat the cake, and she put way more poison into the cake than intended. Sadly, his pregnant wife and daughters fell ill, and later, when their condition worsened, they died. Soon it came to light what Chloe had done. Probably anxious to avoid punishment from their owner, the other slaves dragged Chloe from her room and hanged her from a nearby tree. Her body was later cut down, weighted with rocks, and thrown into the river. Woodruff closed off the children's dining room where the party had been and never allowed it to be used again as long as he lived. To this day, the room where the children were poisoned has never been used for dining. It's called the game room today. Since her death, the ghost of Chloe has been reported at Merkel's and was even accidentally photographed by the past owner. The former slave is thought to be the most frequently encountered ghost of She's often been seen in her green turban, wandering around the home at night. Sometimes the cries of children accompany her appearances, and at other times, those who are sleeping are startled awake by her face peering at them from the side of the bed. Of course, there are hugely conflicting stories when it comes to the plantation. Nowhere in the Woodruff's history is there any mention of a slave, let alone a slave named Chloe. Sarah and two of her children did die, but from yellow fever as per record, and her other daughter Mary Octavia moved with her father, got married, and lived to a ripe old age. And then there's Clark Woodruff, whose name has been so thoroughly damaged over the years with stories about his adulterous affair with slaves and claims that he had one of his lovers mutilated, when in fact, history seems to show that Woodruff was very devoted to his wife and was so distraught over her death that he never remarried. 
The worst part about all the embellished stories and tall tales stretched to within an inch of their lives is that Myrtle's plantation is most definitely haunted, just not by the ghosts and the stories. Hester Ebby, a tour director, has experienced her own, let's call them spectral encounters. She tells of occasions where her pant leg was tugged as if by a child. Countless children died in that home, so I would well believe her encounters are very real to her, having been a sceptic before working there. Rocking chairs on the beautiful wraparound porch rock by themselves. The piano lightly plays a lovely tune, but when people go to see who's playing and compliment them, there's no one there. The most perplexing thing for me, and why I was drawn to this story, aside from the recommendation from Stephen, was the mirror. The mirror in the home supposedly holds the spirit of both Sarah Woodruff and her two children. According to custom, mirrors were covered after a death. The legend says that after the poisoning of Sarah and her children, the tradition was not at the forefront of Woodruff's mind. Legend aside, Sarah and the children's deaths were far closer than you would think fate would make a husband and father go through. So no, I don't think the mirror was on his list of things to do. I think mirrors are more than they appear. So maybe those tiny handprints that keep popping up despite being cleaned off moments earlier are those of mischievous children saying hello to passers-by. I think the stories got progressively worse and more additions were added as each owner that took the plantation was unable to financially keep the project that they'd taken on and ghost stories and hauntings were used as a way to attract the next buyer and the next. And she now it's run as a bed and breakfast, so the stories are more frequent and tours in a quaint B&B are adorable. But for those who have had some sort of experience, I get it. The history doesn't back up the story of Chloe, so it makes it harder for people who have had an experience to sound credible and not sound like another person who just got sucked into a ghost story. But that house is clearly haunted by something. I personally wouldn't want to be eating breakfast when it comes looking for jam and scones. What do you think of that story? That was cool. I, I, I know I don't normally have like a, a twist at the end, but I read this whole story and then when I found out that nothing could be factually corroborated, I was like, what? But then I was like, there's too many deaths in that house. There's been far too many experiences. You don't need to embellish it that much. No. Um, I might actually just take up the pictures real quick to show you. Yeah, show you. me some pictures. Ah, this is the house. Yeah. Isn't it fantastic? Look at your one with a Lego. There's a statue there, I didn't know. <laughs> it's not a ghost with her leg out. It's a um, statue, tumbling a taxi or something. So this is the 1992 photo that the lady had sent to her insurance company. From far away, you can totally understand why she wouldn't have assumed that there was even someone in the photograph. And then when she zoomed in, even without the circle there, when you're looking for it here, you can see there's definitely an outline of something there. Now, mm. whatever it is, it's translucent. So I don't know if it's, there's some foliage around there and there's some trees and there's some bushes and stuff. So yeah. I don't know if it's if it's that, but to me, it kind of looks like something we should be worried about. And then there's this photo, I think was taken, I think they're mother or daughter. Yeah. Um. And then when, when you I first looked at that one, I thought that there was, I was looking at the daughter's eye because it looked like she was looking at something. It does look like she's looking for something. And then you point out this. <laughs> now, it is the old school 80s 90s um net kind of not curtains but the blinds um mm. but it looks like if you look at this bit it 
it could easily be part of the curtain. Yeah. But it, it doesn't look like it. It looks like the waistband. It looks like an Aboriginal or an Indian outfit the child is wearing. Now, there is a very small clip that I read where the home had actually been built on a burial ground. Okay. So you could be right there. Um, but then again, that would also be the same kind of dress that uh, a young girl in the 19 or the 1870s probably would yeah. have worn. Um, but that's terrifying to me. Like, imagine you go, you go somewhere like we go Watch to, again. we go to whatever places that we want to go, like Crumlin Road Jail or Kilmainham. We take a photo and we go home. Yeah. I, what I was about to say is look at the bars going across the window and you see the way it's kind of translucent. So it looks like our head is behind the, the yeah, yeah, waves and yeah. the netting. Part of that netting seems to come true. But then if you look here, what do you see here? Oh, the rest of the bush, do you, I see a kind of a skeletal kind of a hand coming oh, stop, out. Stop, Stephen. This is already freaking me out enough. Well, if you ever want to sleep, something <laughs> involves me. But this is, why I, this is why I said at the beginning, you can, you can take your prisons and your asylums. They are expected to be. But when someone's home is haunted, I'm not okay with that. Because then it brings, I don't live in an asylum. I don't live in a prison. So, I live in a madhouse. I live in a, yeah, but Should that, you move that picture it, off the screen, that please. Brings it, <laughs> that brings it a little too close to home for me. So this is the wraparound porch, and it's those kind of rocking chairs oh, that just randomly rock by themselves. There wouldn't be a lick of wind in the air, and the rocking chairs would be having a field day. I don't know what this is. That's a pumpkin head looking in the window. Do you do see that though? Don't you? It looks like a little bonnet, and uh, then a dress or something, or a coat. But no, I'm not okay with that. Uh, the bartender as well, complete skeptic, said it himself. He was like, I never believed in any of this crap. Um, he said he was standing at the bar one night and you know the way the fancy cocktail glasses like for a cosmopolitan or a champagne flute, they're all up over the bar- bartender's head and you have to slide them towards you to take them off. He said one of the champagne flutes didn't just fall it flew into the mirror and smashed and he's kind of like i tried to recreate it so many different times and i i couldn't recreate what happened and all i kept thinking was oh he's in so much trouble champagne flutes are not cheap (laughs) but he tried to recreate it and couldn't the rest of the photographs are just the inside of it it's absolutely stunning they kind of try to keep it in time with itself i suppose but uh, it's it's yeah that was that was definitely interesting one because I had originally said that I wanted to do it because of the mirror, but I thought the mirror was the only thing. I didn't know about the rocking chairs. I didn't know about the piano randomly playing itself. Like you know me, if we go somewhere and I hear someone playing the piano, I love watching them and I love listening. And I, that would be my instinctive reaction if I was in a B and B and someone was playing a nice little melody. I'd be you like, go, oh, yeah, this? you go and what? you'd say, oh well done, that was really beautiful. But you get there. And there's nobody, and the room probably has one way in and out. And you're like, I'm standing in the doorway, and there's nobody here. That would be that would be enough for me. Thank you. Bye. Cheerio. Was it a good story though? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I genuinely, I found myself creeping forward closely. <laughs> I was trying not to scroll down too far so that you couldn't read ahead. But I thought it was a really good story. It freaked the bejesus out, but fun. I liked it. It was, it was have, interesting. Have you got any peoples for me? It, there's two main characters that stood out to me. Chloe, and who was Chloe saying? Uh, Woodruff. Woodruff. Yeah. So, a big southern man. Uh, do you know who Donald Sutherland is? The name rings a bell. He would be, I'll show you a picture of him now. He was in the Hunger Games. Oh, oh, oh my god, if you, if, I swear to god, if my dinner depended on it, I would not have gone hungry. I would have said him too. I could just see him sitting on his porch, on his, self, his southern self-rocking, <laughs> rocking chairs, drinking a southern comfort, yeah. 
Maybe a big cigar. Because he does play a really good bad guy. Yeah, yeah. So now, in fairness, factually, if we're going to be honest, he may not. I might not be a good but he could play either. He could play yeah. them off. That's okay. what being an actor is. Who have you got uh, for Chloe? Chloe. I had two that came to mind, uh, and I was thinking, oh, maybe Jada Smith. But then you mentioned somebody, and I was like, oh, maybe Zoe Zaldana, who plays Gamora in Dark Guardians of the Galaxy, yes. would make it great. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Oh, oh, I can see that. That'd be, that, she's very young and he's not very young. <laughs> They're really good characters. There's too many to mention. They were yeah. the, the two. And my FBI characters. agents are going to get onto me now Googling all these people. <laughs> Have you any other questions for me? I do not. Everything was so well explained. Uh, Whiskey Dave sounds like a sound chap. Yeah, so basically the Whiskey Rebellion was because they were absolutely up in arms about the tax that was being placed on whiskey. Oh, it's just, it was absolute madness. But he was supposed to be arrested under one president. It was a completely different president that ended up giving him his pardon. Um, but yeah, Whiskey Dave sounds like a whopper name. Yeah. Or... Or a really big issue that you should really deal with. What's consumption? Loads of people apparently die of it. I heard that that happens in all the the old Irish films. I think consumption is very closely linked with tuberculosis. I think it's something to do with your lungs. And the only reason I say that is because, um, oh, Mike Flanagan directed all of them. Uh, what's the thing I watched over and over and over again? Haunting of Blind Manor. Oh. One of the one of the characters in that had consumption. Now, good lord, the girl does not want to die. Like she just wouldn't die. She lasted years longer than anyone. Now she was her health was completely deteriorated, but it's always in all of the Victorian movies where it's like a lady's feeling a little unwell and she's like, <laughs> and she coughs into her white handkerchief, which then ends up having blood on it. That's the only reason I know that it's something to do with breathing or your lungs, and it's very close linked like cousins with tuberculosis or it might now be called tuberculosis but to the best of my knowledge that's what that, that is i thought you were going to ask me what typhoid was so i looked up what that was as well but you didn't ask what that is so no i asked you before about i think i gave you this feel on typhoid mary so i was like no let's leave typhoid out <laughs> for the for the readers audio readers oh no i don't remember because i i, I you asked me about consumption Oh dear. Apologies. Typhoid used to do with fevers. My apologies. So nowadays it wouldn't be something we'd even have to worry about. Um, but it would be one of those things that wouldn't show up for days. Now, when I say days, I mean you could have this a month before it shows up any mm-hmm. real symptoms, but you'd have ongoing fevers progressively coming and going and coming and going. But again, it's not something we I think we'd have to worry about today because we have wonderful things now called antibiotics. Is that all your questions? That's all me. All right. We finish up? Let's do this. Say your words. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions regarding today's episode or any other episode, you can mail us on our Instagram. It is What's the Story Ghost. If you have any personal experience or stories of your own that you would like to share, our email is what's the story ghost at gmail.com. And with that being said, I feel like I'm supposed to know what this is. Is it a blind date? No. What is it? It was Footloose. <laughs> okay, bye. You gotta say bye. Oh, bye. <laughs>